This is the Travel Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Propelic, bringing you the news and insights and what's working and not working in today's competitive transportation and tourism landscape. From emerging brands to the most established professionals, these lessons of intelligent marketing will help your marketing plan travel further. Hey, Travel Marketing Podcast listeners. I'm so excited today to introduce Mitch Bach. I met Mitch at the Arrival Tours and Activities Conference in Vegas in October 2022. And this guy is so impressive. He's been in the tour and activities industry for over 18 years. And as a previous tour operator himself, I think he still is running tours. He uh, has since built two organizations, Trip School and Tourpreneur, to be two of the biggest resources for tour operators in the world. So I'm excited to interview him and see what he has to say. All right. Hey, Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to dive in and hear uh, kind of the inside scoop on all your knowledge after working with so many tour operators for such a long time. Before we get started, though, one of my favorite questions to ask is, what's your most memorable travel experience? My most memorable travel experience, I would have to say it was my honeymoon. And not because it was my honeymoon, but it was a trip to Japan, which was sort of a trip that I'd always wanted to take. And I think it was because I had organized and planned all sorts of activities. And I got there and realized I wasn't even scratching the surface. And I just left the entire trip up to exploration and surprise. And the memories that I came home were some of the strangest of my life and the most memorable for sure. <laughs> I uh, I know you can't see my face right now, but I'm smiling because I yesterday finished booking our honeymoon trip to Japan. Oh my God, we're a cliche, Brennan. We're all a cliche. I know, I know, I know. I want to hear, we're going to have to connect after this and talk about what you did and what we need to do. Because all I'm thinking is sushi, 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 and maybe some Japanese whiskey. But uh, beyond that, I, I don't even know where to start. Oh my gosh, that's almost the best way to do a country like Japan. I'm from the United States, and so for me, it is just a completely different world over there. And suddenly, you realize you're in the middle of a hill outside of Kyoto on a restaurant where the fish gets served down a little water slide, and you have to catch it with your chopsticks when it lands down by you or it falls over a waterfall. That sounds incredible. Or you end up in a cafe where they're giving you a hedgehog to pet while you wait for your food to come. You know, it's just some some really some really great experiences. I, I feel that the hedgehog needs to be part of American dining as well, just saying. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Such a carnivorous Texan you are. I am, I am. No, 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 not a, not part of eating it. No, oh. no, I'm joking. I'm saying as a pet, come on. Uh, I'm not that bad. Listen, I thought you were saying grill it up and, and serve it. Well, many Texans might say that, but I live in Austin, so it's a little different. <laughs> That's true. Um, well, it's interesting. So so pivoting a little bit, just knowing, I mean, with all that you do at Torpreneur and Trip School, I guess even thinking about that trip that you took to Japan, how do you select a tour? How do you figure out what you're going to do? Yeah, I think for me, when I'm looking at planning a trip or thinking about taking tours. First of all, I design tours for a living. I train tour guides. I take tour operators tours all the time, over 100 a year easily. And so if I'm traveling myself, I 
don't plan too much because for me, it's the moment to remind myself of what makes travel truly special, which is beyond any level of organization. It's the serendipity and the surprise and the just joy of discovery that comes from being in a new place and being open to what's what's possible there. And I think what I take away from that is when I'm working with tour operators, you can design for that within the experience, within the entire customer journey. As an operator, you have to remember it's not just a commodity, not just this entity that you're selling, but you're selling emotion, you're selling surprise, you're selling discovery. And the more you can bake that into everything from your email communication to your website to the experience itself, the better you're going to be as an experience creator. Wow, that's a fascinating approach. The guy who spends so much time on tours doesn't go on that when he goes on vacations. You heard it here first. <laughs> I'm going to have to pay you to edit this out because like, I'm not <laughs> supporting my people. But I, I think we as operators, as I mean, I'm also an operator. I've worked as a guide for so many years. I, I always thought that the most fascinating tour guides were the ones that weren't only tour guides, the ones that had, I guess, a reservoir of experience and history and knowledge and passion to draw on that they could bring into their craft. I think it goes with tour operators as well. And and operators naturally have that because operators usually are coming to this industry from somewhere else. And I think I think if we don't have that outlet or that inspiration from afar, from outside of our industry, it's so easy to become completely trapped in just thinking about our business all the time and also you know, just thinking about what what we can do from within the business to improve it when sometimes the best inspiration comes from other domains, other sectors, other niches, even other life experiences. Yeah, th- that makes perfect sense. I guess given that you you said you started out as a tour operator, one, there's two ways I'd love to take this. The first idea is I'm so curious about what you say and I want to dig into what you say when when it's someone who's not a tour operator full-time and it's someone who's more deeply invested and has this wealth of experience but also brings that into the tour. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you're thinking when you talk about that? Yeah, what I'm thinking is, for example, you can, I mean, listen, you work in SEO. It's hard to take a uh, it's hard to be inspired by a flower and come up with a new SEO technique. But when you're, maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> it has not happened yet. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in the experiences industry, the end result is transformation and delight of a customer. And how you get there, unfortunately, is through the path of website design and SEO and reservation technology and marketing plans. And it's really easy to start to think that the entirety of your business lies within the scope of getting all of that fine-tuned. And sometimes, not sometimes, very often, because this is my life, this is what I do, I notice that it's the experience itself that has been sort of left to kind of ossify. It sort of becomes this codified entity that it doesn't really have a lot of attention paid to it anymore. And I think the more an operator can access not only inspiration from wherever they are, uh, noticing how they get delighted in the world, noticing the ways in which they feel things, and then going back and iterating on their tour and just improving it through small little tweaks and and things. I think I think I find that those are the operators that take the most joy in the continuous like discovery of 
human beings and how to delete them. If we don't have that core, if we don't have something at the center of what we do that continually motivates us, this can be such a draining job. And I know that from firsthand because I've, I had years of burnout as an operator, just spinning my wheels, thinking about all of the different irons in the fire that I have to keep hot. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think about it and say, mm. as you said, yes, we do SEO, but as, as an organization, our mission is Increase diversity of thought in the universe. And the best way to do that is by travel experiences, just as you're saying. And whether you have a unique tour experience or you're just there and you see something different from what you see in your day-to-day life, you become a more diverse human. So I completely see what you're saying. Yeah, we need that. We need that zoomed out mission that seems to be far away from the boots on the ground practical mission that we also, or goals that we also have that get us through the days or this is a, this is a draining business. So I love, I love that. I love your mission. Absolutely. You too. So let's, let's dive in. Tell me about Torpreneur and Trip School. Yeah. Two companies. One I started with a co-founder and one I acquired Trip School is about five years old. And it started because I noticed that tour guides didn't really have I guess, a place to go and keep learning throughout their entire career. It started because I, as a tour guide, noticed that I was doing tour design and storytelling a little differently than others were. I noticed that I myself often was bored on tours, and sometimes it was because I was just getting fact after fact after fact after fact. And so Trip School was really born out of the idea of how do we create experiences that that really move people, that connect on emotion. And for me, that's done through phenomenal storytelling, and it's done through the kinds of experience design that we see all around us, whether it's an iPhone or walking through Ikea. We live in these incredibly designed ways that get us addicted for better or worse or just connected to what we're doing and and some of that can be brought to the way we create travel experiences and that's what I do professionally for trip school train tour guides and help tour operators begin down that road thinking about these things and it really you know powers a profitable business and tourpreneur on the other side of that is really <laughs> once you're a profitable business or once you've gotten going Tourpreneurs, the community that sustains you along the way. It's a podcast, it's a website, it's a very um, fervent and frothy Facebook group. <laughs> it's a membership community that offers coaching and consulting. It's a 360-degree look by a variety of people and experts and everything else on your business that keeps you motivated and holds you accountable, which we all need. Yeah, for me, that's similar to to the entrepreneurs organization. It's a group yeah. of like minded people, right, thinking in the same way and and trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah, you know, and I love EO. I think they're a phenomenal organization. And this gets back to like what we were talking about in the beginning about sort of the inside and the outside. I love going to EO or I love any of these other entrepreneur organizations and belonging to them just to get inspired from the outside and by people seeing things differently. And yet also what Tourpreneur tries to do is really be the organization on the inside, the community that gets you because on another on another level, nobody understands tour operators. It's just such a strange business, and we don't operate by the same rules as even other tourism sectors. We're really a dark horse, black sheep, whatever your uh, whatever your metaphor is. <laughs> whatever we grew up as children, right? That type of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I always say that. I'm always like, what trauma led you to this career path? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about that for a second before we move on. Travel is considered consumer discretionary by the United States economy. The S&P 500 has all travel sector categorized into the consumer discretionary se- segment. The funny thing is, though, it's one of the largest markets in the world, travel as a whole. And it's different. Everybody knows that travel as a whole is different. But for you to go and say further that tours are different, tour operators are different, what do you find to be different about the way a tour operator thinks and works from the rest of the travel industry? I think it's just the diversity of our industry. We're not a rental car or an airplane or a bedroom with a coffee maker. We're everything from jet ski rentals to um, 30-day treks across the Himalayas to a three-hour history tour of Detroit, Michigan to a zip line uh, to Patagonia to uh, 10 days with 45, 14-year-olds going on your school trip together. So how is that one industry? I mean, a Tesla and a minivan are still basically four-wheeled things that get you from point A to point B. And so I, I see a lot of innovation and tech and funding has been applied to basically every other sector of our industry, but tourism activities and attractions. And I think it's because we're really hard to conceptualize. We're really hard then also to build things for or to invest in because we're all so different. And so I, I think of it as just a real long tail industry of, of mom and pop shops, as we call it in the U.S., of bootstrappers and passion-based entrepreneurs. And I'm not a passion-based rental car industry uh, entrepreneur. Um, so <laughs> well, you're not seeking 2% margins? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we... We, we see that just in the very business demographics. There are almost no large-scale large scale brands that crisscross the globe selling tours. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's only a couple I can think of, secret food tours. and Yeah, there's walks, there's context, there's, um, you know, some of these, yeah. but they're, they're drops in the bucket compared to the idea of a global brand in any other sector of our industry. And the closest thing you probably get to it are the large group travel brands that are the oldest in our in our industry. We're not an old industry. I mean, we're maybe going on 200 years old. The idea of traveling and kind of doing the things that we do in, in, in terms of like a leisure market and um, doing things because you have time off. And because you wanted to travel for some sort of fulfillment or, 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 you know, with some sort of goal in mind that wasn't just to sell your knives to the next village. We're a young, we're a really young industry and everything's being reinvented as we, as, as, as we go along very quickly. But with this kind of long tail segment, it just is, we've been left to our own devices, I think. Now, now, assuming you're talking about companies like Trafalgar and Intrepid for those longer... I mean, listen, Intrepid's the young baby. I'm talking about like Globus and Tauk and Colette. Got and, it. But yes, essentially those because, you know, leisure group travel as we know it in this kind of tourism world that we live in was born from that. It was born from Thomas Cook in what, the 1840s? Yeah, I mean, I think it was your recommendation. You posted the recommendation for Overbooked by Elizabeth Becker, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's a great book. 
I read that on your recommendation and I learned about the founding of tourism and how globalization over the past 200 years has, has impacted that category so much. And, and these companies were there at the beginning of it, right? Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about, you know, the U.S. labeling it as discretionary income or discretionary spending, it's because we don't really know how to measure it or do anything with it. You know, if you've read Elizabeth's book, she says the UNWTO is kind of a toothless organization. Countries at a national level, I don't know, are almost slightly embarrassed to mention how much they rely on tourism uh, for their GDP. And so they kind of hide it. And so, you know, we're really this kind of strange stepchild that doesn't really get acknowledged and therefore doesn't get policy built around us and it's built by a lot of small local components and creators that remain that. And so we're, we're very weird. Big in numbers, but very weird on a granular level. Rightfully so. <laughs> Rightfully so. And, and I think the unique take that you have, Mitch, is that you spend your time with tour operators in the Facebook groups, talking to them, leading masterminds, leading coaching, and you're speaking at arrival in a couple of weeks in Berlin. You have a closer pulse on that industry than most people do. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast, and I know you're not a, you don't put yourself out there as a marketing expert, and you don't say that that's your, your world, but you do get to see it all the time. So I wanted to ask you a couple of things that might be helpful for our listeners who are really interested in, in, in this case, specifically getting their their tours and activities to become more visible. How do you think that marketing for tours and activities has evolved over the past couple of years? Well, quite the past couple of years, Brennan. <laughs> this isn't just any past couple of years. I, I, I chose the question for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that we could talk about this. It's it's funny. I think. First of all, you're right. I'm not a marketing agency. I think my superpower is I talk to marketing agencies and I talk to tour operators and I am a tour operator. So I try to make sure that I touch all the various tentacles of this industry and of this problem because we all see it from a different vantage point. Ultimately, we all want to just sell more tours and yet we're sort of beholden to kind of trends and marketing forces as they evolve. And COVID obviously was quite the evolution in all in, in all of this. I would say my biggest, biggest, biggest takeaway from what COVID taught operators was to begin to analyze and ask questions about their relationship to online travel agencies, to look into this idea of direct bookings in terms of website optimization and CRO and everything else that uh, SEO, all of the O's, um, and then really go to the extremes. This was the past two years was really the great uprising of the small operators suddenly um, taking their pitchforks and saying, wait a minute, you're taking too much money from me, OTAs, and I'm going to do it on my own. And, and then they go and do it on their own and they realize oh, this is actually also really, really hard and kind of expensive to do on my own, um, which has left, I think, the solution somewhere in in the middle and very personal. But I think that was the great experiment that operators finally had time to attempt because it wasn't so tied to immediate loss of bookings because they had no bookings. And so they had time to go on this journey of understanding who they are as a brand and as a direct business outside of the insane growth happening on the um, digital front of these marketplaces. So you said you recognized a lot of, uh, a lot of independent operators pulling away from distribution sites and online travel agencies in the space, which we know the names of them. I don't need to go through that, but, uh, 
where are they now? Have they gotten back? Are they still doing it on their own? Is it more um, 50-50? Yeah, I think people are still people are still trying to do it on their own. There is zero problem with doing that on your own. It's, it's funny, you know, in the world of tourpreneur, our Facebook group often gets uh, vilified as the anti-OTA sort of landscape or place, water cooler where people go. And, you know, my take on that is that we suffer from local news syndrome where you turn on the local news and you think all the city you live in is just stabbings and, 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 and gunshots because that's what's reported on. People come to the group and they complain or they have issues or they're venting or whatever. Nobody just goes on there and says, I'm really enjoying my diversified distribution strategy across the following online partners uh, where I've figured out a pricing model that allows me to be profitable. <laughs> like nobody just says that. <laughs> and so we're left looking like, uh, you know, like the place where everybody goes to just hate on it. And so there's that silent majority, I would call them, of the people that are more than happy. But on that level, I think for me, the answer to this eternal question of should I invest my money in my own direct marketing strategy? Should I come up with a you know OTA strategy when obviously I'm then beholden to their ever-evolving policies? And I think the answer is you you find the mix that works for you, but it should be a diverse mix. And honestly, nobody now talks about offline marketing strategies and building actual B2B human partnerships. And some of the things that I think are the most effective marketing or sales strategies have nothing to do with the internet and marketplaces and uh, all of these questions that seem to be on the top of the digital minds of people online. 100%. So first off, to to your point about having an echo chamber, I think everybody uh, enjoys that in the moment and anybody who disagrees with it sees it as a problem, right? Yeah. Just contextualizing, we work with both OTAs and direct tour operators. And in doing that, we get to see and hear it from both sides, and it's exactly what you're saying. What I find is the more sophisticated generally that the business is, that the tour operator is, the more they understand and appreciate that relationship and the less they hate it. Because they can see that having that diversified channel is helpful. Right. So I guess that that's as, as a sign whenever I'm looking at business strategy, I'm always looking at what are the people that are 10 times larger than me doing? And I bring that into my thinking and say, this is how I need to think to get there. I don't know. Do you think it's worth looking at it that way and saying, I don't need to hate on this OTA. I need to use them as a strategic partner and also build my direct channel? Yeah, I think direct doesn't simply mean a better website. It also just means that you've created corporate partners through reaching out on LinkedIn, where you do team building exercises once a month for various divisions of the large company down the road from you. That's a direct sales strategy that has nothing to do with your booking software and your OTAs and everything else. And it's an incredibly lucrative one. I, I'm I, this This question of who do you listen to is another for me, a fundamental problem or flaw in the system because you can go on to a message board, you can ask a general question, and you're going to get an answer from somebody whose market is very different, whose product is very different, which means you can't just listen to the 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 the, the, the hordes, the masses, uh, tell you something that's good or something that's bad. It drives me crazy. What booking software should I use? Well, I use this and I use that. Okay. Well, are you a multi-day tour company in India or are you a walking tour company in South Africa? The answer is going to be different. And so... You need to know your needs. And I think some of the 
basic strategy around something like an OTA is knowing what it's good at and knowing what it's bad at and knowing whether your business is right for it. Getting your business fundamentals right. If you're feeling completely squeezed and every single percentage point of a commission is getting higher and higher, is squeezing you tighter and tighter to the point that you're not profitable, well, that's a cue to look at everything from your pricing strategy to whether that partner is a viable partner for you. Because guess what? You're spending 33% of your time and money in other ways that might be fruitful for you and might not be, but the question isn't 30% versus 0%. It's where are you investing your time and your marketing dollars and your energy uh, in building a successful and profitable business? And, you know, 33% might be a lot, 25% might be a lot, but on another level, it's not a lot if you have a price strategy that works for the right kind of customer that you want to attract. And that means looking at your product, looking at your tour. Value-based pricing is the mantra that we preach at Tourpreneur. If you hang out with us or go into a coaching call with us at, at any moment, that's all we talk about, which is, which is you're worth what the market will pay for you, not just 25% more than what your components cost. For our honeymoon, we're going through Abu Dhabi, and I want Thomas, my fiance, loves cars and loves Ferraris, and they have Ferrari World there. So I was searching for a tour, um, and I found two tours. One was I think sixty or seventy dollars, and one was two hundred and fifty dollars. And they pick you up at the airport, take you there, and then bring you back when your flight leaves. It's a thirteen-hour layover. And I don't know what the difference between the two are, but I will shamelessly admit that I clicked on the more expensive one first. For some reason, that $60 for that experience, including the ticket, seemed like there was something being pulled on me. It didn't feel right, and 250 made more sense. And they could both have the same costs. One could just have much higher margins. They both had very similar number of reviews. And that gets to also like a fantastic benefit of an OTA is, um, and I, I don't want our conversation to be nothing but OTAs. There's, <laughs> we'll steer here in a second. <laughs> this was us saying, let's avoid this echo chamber. And yet here we are. <laughs> it's a great way to test your market, to test, put something out for $250, build a product, put it on the marketplace, see if somebody buys it. It's a great way to test the marketplace uh, without messing around too much with your website and your other channels. And you might be surprised. I mean, man, we just hosted a business retreat a couple of weeks ago and one tour operator, their marquee experience, I'm not going to name it, otherwise it'll be easily Googleable. <laughs> it's probably one of the most Instagrammable and interesting kinds of experiences that you could possibly do as a tour operator. So much so that they were operating this tour, you know, just on their website and getting almost all advanced bookings six, nine months out. And their price point was $35. Wow. And that's because they said, well, that's what everybody else was charging. I go, what do you mean was? She goes, well, my competition's all out of business now. I go, so you're the only one there. Nobody has any point of comparison with another product. And you're getting bookings for this two-hour experience six months out. Then you're the anchor experience. You're the reason people are traveling to this place. And it's costing them $35. This could be $200 and people would still buy it because- that's clearly what's on their mind as something they want to do in your destination. And they'll pay for it. If your volume drops and your, your revenue per ticket grows, um, you're doing less work for more money, virtually. 
yes, you're less of what we call a busy fool. And this is the problem. This was going to be my one like pushback with the, what are companies that are 10, 10x your size doing? And um, that's because there's a real misnomer that it's better for you to get more bookings and that's your salvation. Listen, there's a lot of companies that want you to have more bookings because then they earn more commissions per booking. But your goal as an operator is to be more profitable. And that means a lot of different things than just more, 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 more. If all you're doing is adding bookings and having to hire more guides and buy more vehicles or more boats and increasing so much more overhead, that might not be a great strategy for you. For example, I could grow that car company that you're booking in Abu Dhabi not by purchasing 50 more Ferraris or whatever, but by partnering with local airport transfer companies so that I can create a seamless user customer experience for $250, you get airport transfers on both sides or you get picked up by the car, whatever it is. But those types of partnerships can create an end user value that is perceived at an exponential amount uh, because it solves so many problems for them, doesn't cost you anything in terms of scaling your inventory or your assets or anything else, uh, but instead it's just providing a better experience for your customer. That's a way to create something that can increase your profits exponentially without costing you more overhead and more time and more busyness. Yeah, it's, it's all really about responsible yeah. business ownership, right? I mean, thinking about what's going on in the market today in the startup world, nobody's solely focused on growth anymore. They're focused on their magic 40, right? Can we hit a percent of profitability and growth that equals a certain number, not just growth at all costs, which is, in a lot of cases, very painful and very damaging to an organization. Well, and I hope we all sober up over the next year or two yeah. from this Kool-Aid that we've all been drinking in which Silicon Valley dictates the idea of what a good business looks like because it sinks down. Listen, I promise you a tour operator 15 years ago wasn't just talking about scale and every other word. <laughs> they were actually probably talking about how much they enjoyed their job and how much they enjoyed their business. It's this obsession with growth and scale and that's the only meaning for a great business and um, opening up extra locations and adding more assets and, and 50 more tours and all of that. And that's great for a certain kind of business person, but for the passion-driven entrepreneur, you might actually have much more satisfaction, not like never using that word again, and just thinking about how much you can create more value, increase your prices by creating a better end user experience. And um, and that you're right, that goes back to core business fundamentals, which a lot of times we don't have because we fall into this business out of, you know, accident or pure joy or whatever. And it's not because we finished our MBA and said, this is what's next. As uh, Greg Crabtree says, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All that being said, let's talk about what's working today. What have you experienced for the direct booking channels is working for tour operators, either either online or offline? Yeah, marketing channels working. So first of all, like I said, offline. We had talked earlier about this industry being so hard to define. Well, Arrival, the events company, has done such good work in trying to do research and bring together operators in a way that codifies us a little bit. And you know what's interesting sometimes is that their research buries the lead uh, because people talk about the second and third most important ways to acquire your customers. And it might be direct or OTAs or website or whatever. And yet, like the overwhelming number one way travelers decide whether they're going to book with you is 
friends and family, it's referrals, it's people. So the best thing you can possibly do for your business, in my opinion, is create something worth talking about at home. And that's about the type of experience that you design that gets people talking, raving, and makes it easy, you know, for them to talk about you over the Thanksgiving dinner table. So that's my caveat in terms of what marketing channels are working. Yeah, I'll just add to that. In practice, I generally don't write that off, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then we have that experience like you telling me you're, you went to Japan for your honeymoon and me saying, oh, I really want to hear what you did because I would trust that much more than what I'd find online. Yes. You and I are going to text right after this and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of like random names and things and you're going to trust that authority. Exactly. There's a review online can only go so far. It goes a long way, but it doesn't go as far as Mitch sending Brennan a text saying this is what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. My first company in New York City that I built, my walk into a company had no website, had no booking software, and it operated entirely via text message. And it was because it was in 2010. This was like this weird chaotic moment in New York where everything wanted to become a speakeasy. This was like the big trend back then. Everything needed a password. Everything was hidden. You'd like um, pick up a payphone, dial zero, and the wall would open. And then somebody, you know, you'd have to say a password and somebody would guide you to your cocktail bar seat. And I created basically a speakeasy tour business where I took all of the kind of access, special access that I had in the West Village where I lived for a long time and um, cobbled it together as a tour, which included seeing my apartment, going up to my rooftop, cutting me at a butcher shop, which I'm pretty sure was a violation of the Department of Health Code. <laughs> this was just a walking tour. It cost me nothing except like a cheap bottle of Prosecco at the end of the tour. And I'd sell it for $200. And the way I sold it was I had these little letter pressed cards made with a phone number. And I said, listen, only trust the people that you think deserve this tour and would like this tour. And I would give them out these little cards with the phone number. And I'd say, hand it out wisely. And that person can can only text me and they'll get instructions on how to book. And they'd hand those out. And my company was, I was completely full. I was completely full. Everything was always sold out for these tours. And I mean, these were $200 per person. So I was, you know, for a group of six people or seven people, I mean, it was making $1,400 for a two-hour tour with no marketing. I will also say, I know exactly how much it costs to get two drinks at Death & Co. So yeah. I know that. yeah, exactly. But so for me, the... What works in marketing is knowing your customer, knowing how to create the kind of storytelling experience that connects with them on an emotional level that makes them want you. And and everything else is a means to, to doing that. And if you don't have the emotional storytelling down, then nothing works. And so, I mean, I could sit here and say, oh, Instagram's out, Facebook is in, uh, Google is, you know, but... It's 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 very personal, dependent on your business. It means you need to like know what the triggers are for your customer, and those are very different. If your customer is a family, if it's a solo woman, if it's a um, you know whatever, if it's an affinity travel based on a certain you know demographic, um, then you use these techniques and you make sure you you make sure you speak to them with. That brand, that brand message in mind throughout all the channels. You know, I think the number one most underutilized digital marketing channel for multi-day tour operators is email. I rarely see intelligently designed campaigns designed to engage engage your customer along the customer journey, which is very long. I I, I know I know operators who have sworn me to secrecy. I can never mention them, and their secret business uh, marketing channel is Pinterest. <laughs> 
They've learned how to sell on Pinterest because, listen, Pinterest is like, first of all, obsessed with giving you organic reach. Second of all, it, like, it, it is happy to link out to your website. Third of all, it has huge numbers of certain demographics of, of, of people. And their number one sales channel is Pinterest. Which, which, by the way, I think is used by 98% women. The only social media platform that's that heavily dominant by a gender. It's very interesting. Heavily. And me planning my wedding. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, and gay men designing a house. Yeah, you can categorize that all together. <laughs> it sounds like email is a place for people to exploit that are listening to this. Just give me a quick idea of what an email topic would be. Yeah, you know... Email is so easy because there's a plethora of lead magnet opportunities out there that can immediately capture an email address on a website. Once you have that email address, guess what? You own it. As long as you don't piss them off and get them to unsubscribe you, you own it. So you're not worried about you know trends changing in the wind. And all you have to do is nurture that. And what I often don't see is, is, is people understanding that email is about relationship building, which requires segmenting. If I said, to all of my besties in Austin, you're all invited to this exclusive party, you, Brennan and Austin, are you going to feel very special? Well, maybe I called you a bestie. <laughs> but what if I segmented that down to exactly, you know, the group that allows me to speak to you incredibly personally? At that moment, you feel connected with me. And for multi-day operators, for example, or even operators that are attracting corporate clients or bachelor parties or things like that, things that need a little nurturing that aren't just a last minute booking, not just a, you know, I found you on Viator and it's two hours before the tour and I'm going to book you. Anything where you've got a little bit of lead time with the customer journey email is golden. But what you need with that is intelligent ways of segmenting your audience to make sure you're speaking to them in a semi-personal way. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate the insight. I think it's going to be super helpful to the operators that listen to this. So just broadly, have you noticed any any trends through all your conversations and what's going on in travel today now that it's, well, it's Valentine's Day today. This will get published probably beginning of March, but uh, any interesting notes? Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I don't really go off of these trend reports because I don't trust them. I don't trust them because, you know, and Expedia does really great trend reports, but they're data of Expedia bookers, which is a certain kind of traveler. It's not all kinds of travelers. And so I think a lot of times we end up seeing pieces of puzzles based on kind of the bias of the organization doing the trending. So I'm always interested by that. But for me, I get my data from endless conversations with operators who have boots on the ground experience. And I will say by far the number one thing that they have all mentioned is they're seeing anywhere from mild to obnoxious increases in last minute bookings and people looking for incredibly flexible cancellation terms. And that to me is almost a no-brainer because we see just the, the the strange the the strange ways that travel can go awry now. Flights are are aren't dependable, and you know weather patterns and everything else. And so that that makes sense to me. And you know it's often painted as an annoyance, but this is really the wake up call for operators to come up with a plan and a product that can service this kind of traveler because there's no fighting it. You know another. I'm going to fudge the numbers, but I think like uh, I think like it was it was like eight billion dollars worth of OTA bookings before the pandemic, and I think it's quietly up to over twenty billion dollars now. And so, and this is for tours and activities for tours and activities. Wow, that happened over the last three years. 
don't quote me on the numbers, but that, that was in an arrival report. But the point was, silently, over the pandemic, you know, it, it ballooned. This, I, this, this, this pressure for you to service a customer that doesn't give you a lot of lead time to work with them. So, and it might mean some of your products don't work. You can only fight the evolution of, of habits so often, uh, so much. For the higher ticket customers, multi-day operators selling $3,000, $4,000 tours, I'm really interested in the fact that customers more than ever are willing to book those kinds of prices entirely digitally without the types of phone calls and contact that used to happen. Tour Radar, the OTA for multi-day operators, um, also shared this data uh, last year in Seville. They had said, I think, something like 40% of their bookers aren't actually reaching out to their multi-day operators on their platform. They're just booking $3,000 trips. I think that's really interesting. Other trends Everybody that I see that's like secretly super happy are doing corporate work as they've noticed the difference in the way corporate travel works now. That's slightly connected to remote work and digital nomads, but it's also related to, again, what the emotional needs are of remote um, remote workforces. And so people doing team building, people doing team building things, people getting into the gifting market which is largely connected to the corporate space, are doing things. And a lot of that stuff is just repurposing what you're already doing as an experience creator with slightly different copywriting and slightly different you know, packaging. Well, it's it, it's funny that you mentioned that because the episode that's going live right before this one is an interview with Joe Martin, whose whole business is helping people meet that market's needs. Oh, great. Well, now I'm looking like I'm just listening to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I think this will be a great endorsement for him. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, Joe's a great example, a marketing agency that has just gone knee deep in corporate travel. And you know what? <laughs> that's also a great example. Listen, you've got maybe 10 big, quote unquote, marketing agencies that service tours and activities uh, industry. And what Joe has done is say, what's my point of difference? How do I make myself stand out and be immediately clear on like the deliverable for me? And he said, corporate travel. That's a lesson to be learned for tour operators um, because another, I could easily add another trend uh, is in the distractedness of the online shopper looking through all of these tours and everything. You can't have a complex, difficult website. You can't have too many products because every nanosecond that your customer is confused and trying to figure out what you offer and what to choose, you're losing a customer. They're, they're bouncing if there isn't that clarity. Yeah. In the process of booking, it was overwhelming. We use points and miles. So I, I And it's so much research to use points and miles to find flights that I outsource that. I have I pay someone to do that for me because it's hard to vet and figure out how to do that just as it is hard to vet and figure out what to do with uh, with a with tour to take There's when there's 100 options, right? Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of different walking tours of cities and what differentiates. Absolutely. I have two more questions for you to wrap up our conversation today. Are we at the 20-minute mark yet? (laughs) Yeah, next time I'll I'll preface this with it's going to take a little longer than 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) We had a lot to talk about. The question, first question I have for you is, between all of the incredible work you do for tour operators, where, where should people go to learn more about what you're doing and get involved in Tourpreneur or Trip School? Yeah, if you go to tourpreneur.com slash start, that's the easiest 
thing to do because it's a little landing page where you can sign up for a newsletter. I think we have about 13 or 14,000 people that read it now. It comes out every week. It gives you our top reads and three articles from my um, business partners and I. Chris Torres is a great marketer. A lot of what he does is similar to me, except that he's also a practicing marketer. Peter Syme is um, kind of like a Yoda of our industry. He looks to the future. He divines things, and it comes from his experience over um, almost 30 years as a tour operator. And um, we have a newsletter. We have a podcast that comes out twice weekly. We have a membership community for people that need to cut the noise. Just like you, Brennan, paid somebody to basically figure out your points, redemptions, and your tour bookings for you. Um, you know, Tourpreneur is really about cutting through the noise and giving you the type of actionable advice that keeps you from spending four years and $40,000 making the wrong website designer choices or the wrong business strategy that costs you time and costs you money because it's it's just a complex landscape out there and and all of us all of us have such a plethora of options now that we need we need those types of trusted voices to to keep us on on the path sure yeah i appreciate that and then and finally just to wrap things up where's your where's your next trip oh my next trip i am going to portugal in just a couple of days one of the things Tourpreneur is doing in 2023 and beyond is hosting small group business retreats. And the idea is you bring 12 business owners together, you spend four days, part of it is you're doing experiences, you're breaking bread together, you're doing intensive workshops, but you're also doing it in the middle of a national park in the remote northern region of Portugal. And you use it as a time to recharge, to connect with other people and to get inspired and to kind of do what we were talking about at the beginning of this, just feel the energy of something other than what you're used to on the daily level and use it to kind of power your, your passion business. So off to Portugal to lead a business retreat, which is exciting. And then off to Berlin for arrival, right? With a stopover in Paris where I'm doing some more work. So well, there you go. There you go. Busy man. Travel is back. <laughs> <laughs> Travel is back. I know I've got three international conferences in the next three months. So yeah, I'll be on there. I'll be doing that with you. But uh, in any case, thank you so much, Mitch, for this conversation. I know it was about two times longer than the norm because there was so much that you had to provide. So I really appreciate it. Only for you, Brennan. Oh, thank you. For more empowering ideas, visit Propelic.com. We're on a mission to create more diversity in thought for the planet and dedicated to helping brands both large and small increase their reach through intelligent travel, transportation, and tourism marketing. P-R-O-P-E-L-L-I-C dot com. 